Welcome back to another market update brought to you by the team from Mikado.com.au. Today we'll be giving a short summary of what's happening in the marketplace uh, with largely a focus on how it impacts upon Australia. I've got myself, Andrew Whitelaw speaking. We've got Matt Dalgleish talking about livestock. And we've got Robert Herman, who's not been on the podcast for a couple of weeks. So he's he's back to talk about the bull market. He, he gave Olivia the good points to talk about when it was going well. And uh, now he's back to uh, to talk about the bad points of, of wool uh, by the looks of it. Uh, probably I'll just give a quick summary on what's happening in, in the grain market. And the grain market just now is really a barley market. And as everyone under the sun will know now that uh, China has uh, officially put in place uh, tariffs. We spoke about this last week. I think I said last week that it was going to happen, that these tariffs, they wouldn't do a pre-announcement without it happening. And it's not a big surprise for me to see these tariffs. Um, And like I've said before, I don't think it's COVID-related I think it's probably more a trade thing and more to do with phase one deal. And I don't think they have the demand or as much demand for barley this year as we've had in previous years because 200 million pigs gone. There's there's a lot less mouths to feed. So I think there's a lot of dog whistling about it being a being a COVID thing and a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment. But I think it's it's a trade thing. And I think it's just really about trying to get their obligations met under under the phase one deal. So on, on Mercado, we've extensively looked at it. I think we've done three, maybe four articles in the last uh, fortnight just on barley. And look, I think if at the end of the day, whether you're growing barley or not, uh, whether you're a consumer, it's it's important because it's it's going to drive everything in, in the Australian grain market for at least up until this harvest and, and beyond, and definitely into next seeding, I would say. So... A lot of the question marks are like with China going, where are you going to send it? Uh, the questions are, well, we used to send a lot to Saudi Arabia, but that market, they haven't been sitting around thinking, oh, we'll just sit around and wait and feed our sheep. We'll, we'll wait till Australia comes back to the table before feeding our sheep. They've been buying from elsewhere. And when there's a, a deficit of, of supply, that, that gets filled in by someone else. It's a bit like you throw a brick in a, in a stream the water doesn't just stop, it goes around the brick and it finds a way to its place. That's what happens when you disrupt trade flows. So I think looking at it in that way, we've got a big challenge if we want to get all that grain that used to go to China filled in elsewhere because you know there's a lot of other countries supplying to Saudi Arabia and they've also using less barley. They're using more compound feeds So and they're, and they're removing the subsidies for importing of, of barley. So a big task... But eventually the market finds a way. It, the barley will go somewhere. It's just a question of the price that it gets gets done at. Andrew, um, there was some discussion there that um, you know, the US are likely to, to cut out lunch, I guess, so to speak, um, corner phrase there with regards to that flow into China with US barley going into China. Is that a realistic proposition or is that a bit pie in the sky? I think it's whenever somebody says that, you know, we're, we're allowing the U.S. to come and import into our country, you'd think, wow, that's going to that's gonna definitely take away our market. They're going to be, you know, taking our, our share away. And normally you'd think if it was corn or wheat, you'd say, yeah, that probably is the case. But on barley, you actually look at the supply numbers. 
barley is a niche product in the US and only 1% of all grain grown in Australia in, in the US is barley. So their exportable surplus is about 100 to 150,000 tons a year. So are they a competitor? Absolutely not. I would say that if you're looking at competitors and you're worried about competitors, I would say even the UK is going to be a bigger competitor to the US in, into Australian origin and in, into Australian destinations. Now they've got last year 1.5 million tons exported and uh, last year their exports largely went to the EU. Come December, they're going to get hit potentially with a tariff of you know 50 plus percent on anything going into Europe. So they'll be competing just as well into Saudi Arabia, Algeria, Tunisia uh, as we will. So I think the US, no, nah, it's just a... It's a red herring, really. Made made for some good newspaper articles, and a lot of people saying, you know, Trump's uh, cut our lunch. But the reality is, it's it's meaningless, really. They don't produce enough. Speaking of which, Matt, what's happening in the livestock industry? Uh, Started for sheep markets. It's pretty much been a story of um, tight supply for the last few weeks. Actually, indeed, if you look at really the supply metric, which are largely slaughter and. Um, and yardings, uh, since April, we've never really recovered from that dip we see in April. Um, so both of those metrics continue to, to drift along the, the low level of what's or below what's considered normal even. Um, indeed, for sheep, last week we saw um, the lowest numbers for sheep slaughter on the East Coast, uh, kind of mirroring what we saw back in 2011, which was a, a very strong year for the rebuild of the flock back then with the very good rain we've seen. And we're starting to see the same thing now, heading into winter with, with very low numbers of slaughter. Um, and that's kind of flowed through for supportive prices uh, within the sheep sector. Um, cattle one's another interesting one, looking at, at cattle markets. Again, a situation of, of tight supply, probably not as tight as what we're seeing in sheep at the moment, but still on the lower end of normal for uh, for both cattle throughput and cattle slaughter. Um, but the key one for the cattle markets was actually across in the US, we've seen obviously they're, they're going through their own um, internal battles there with regard to tight supply, and it's for different reasons, really. It's to do with... Um, the processing plants there still being affected by COVID and not having the ability to process as, as, as much as what they had previously. So that's seen a bit of an increase in um, demand for um, for uh, beef product. And so the 90SL, and in particular the imported 90SL, which is mainly the, the manufacturing beef that comes from Australia New Zealand into the US, the price for that's rallied to the highest level we've seen it this year, uh, up above 800 cents a kilo in, in Aussie dollar cents. Um, and so um, that's really shown that there's a bit of a, a tightness of, um, of product there as well. Um, up until recently, we've, we've been seeing the livestock market in the US getting getting hit by all these COVID concerns um, and, and the delays in the supply chain. But in the last month now, we've seen that US live cattle futures um, rebound about 22% off the lows of late April, um, which is a and it's just sitting now under 100 cents US a pound. So that's a, a good sign, not just for the US, but, but more broadly for the um, for the global marketplace, it's a bit of an indicator as to beef market sentiment, that, that live cattle price. Um, and realistically, for the long term, uh, we, we need to see that that price get a good strong foothold above 100 US cents um, a pound. Uh, and the fact that we're just below now is a good thing. So hopefully um, that can continue to push higher and, and give a bit more optimism across the broader beef industry and, and certainly would lend some support to, to local prices. We, we did see local prices rally uh, in Australia this week for, for cattle. Um, the, the big... Um, the big mover was uh, was feeder cattle um, up about uh, 16%. I think it was on the week, which is a, a nice good bounce. Um, but all the other all the other kind of COVID um, indicators and MLA reporting were all up uh, 
you know, between about 5% to 9%, um, the, the balance of them. So it's, it's been a fairly good week for, for both cattle and, and sheep producers with regards to price. So Matt, um, I know you've been watching the, the US and you made a point on, on that MLA webinar about the live cattle price needing to rally, and it has. Um, what about though, if, I mean, one of the things with the meatworks in the US being off grid, if you like, is that there must be a backlog of stock uh, over there. I mean, are we able to get a handle on what impact that might have when they do get back into full steam? Are they going to, are the meatworks going to have a heap of cheap cattle thrown at them and, and that's going to pressure the market down or will it sort of go through in an orderly manner? Yeah, look, there is a backlog, certainly. And we know too, Rob, that the US um, side of the business is much more grain focused and intensive um, operations. There have been some some anecdotal reports there that, that some of those um, grain fed were, were put out to actual pasture to slow slow down the uh, the weight gain there just so they could balance it out, certainly in the beef industry. But um, there will be a back, backlog once they once they do get back online fully. Um, I, th- I think from that perspective, though, it's uh, it's really been um, the pork industry there in the US is the one that's really suffered actually, because um, as as we all know, as pork producers ourselves here, that um, you kind of it, the, the, the pig side of things isn't really geared towards being able to just stop them from from growing. So in the pork space, they've actually had to go and um, just euthanise a whole lot of uh, ready for slaughter pork um, because they couldn't be processed. So um, You've got a bit of a strange scenario now where you're probably going to have a real um, deficit and, and an undersupply of available pork products, um, both for export and for domestic demand in the US. But um, the beef side of thing, they're going to be inundated, I think, with beef once those processes get back up and running. Right. Oh, Robert, what are, what's happening in the wool industry? Uh, well, I was, um, I was, I'm going to make this pretty short because it's, uh, it's the bear of bad news again. And I noticed Olivia's decided uh, after last week's modest gains not to uh, front up today. Well, that's the, that's the point, the isn't it? It started okay, but it was very short-lived. And in the end, um, it, it couldn't it, – it fell away. Um, it's just a sad story now that, uh, you know, the buyers are really struggling to have any meaningful orders um, with the um, you know with the mills not getting orders coming downstream from um, from the uh, retailers, and uh, it's just not looking good. In fact, the only bit of good news there was two bits of good news, I suppose. If I'm looking for positives, one was that the crossbred market didn't fall, although people will remember that it's been falling weekly up until now, so it didn't fall. But part of the reason for that was there was only just over 2,000 bales of crossbred wool sold for the week, so it was almost non-existent. And the cardings indicators were up. Um, but again, that, I think I wrote here that they produced about 2,100 bales, 2,100 bales, which is just an extraordinary low amount. What would it typically be? News. Um, looking forward, uh, I made a comment that, you know, we're, we're, we're really in uncharted waters here and there's a real lack of confidence. It's not a great place to be in at the moment. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but even after last week's sort of half positive result, it was almost like everybody was sitting here thinking, well, that's probably just a bit of calm before the storm and that's the way it turned out. So not a good story, Andrew. What, what, do, what are growers doing about it then? If the prices uh, well, are so Well, growers low. are actually helping the situation uh, because we've, they're, they're reducing their offerings. So they're either withdrawing wool prior to sale or, um, or passing it in. And in fact, I just had a look at the figures. This time uh, last year, we were selling about 34,000 bales a week. This year, year to date, we're uh, 7,000 bales a week less. 
But in fact, um, in the last 10 weeks, we're 12,000 bales a week less than what we were for last year. So <laughs> growers are actually holding the wool back. Now, they can do that for, for a couple of reasons. Um, they can take a position that hopefully the market improves in the future and they can, they can sell at a higher level. They've probably also got pretty good sheep sales behind them in the last uh, year or so. And most growers have had two to three wool clips that have sold very well. So they're holding wool back. But, of course, what that means, a bit like the US beef situation, Matt, what it means is that that wool is, uh, has got to come on the market at some time. So stocks are building a little bit. And, and we know that Andrew Woods has been looking closely at that on Mercado. And um, while it's not critical just yet, it's something we need to be careful about because at some stage that wool's got to come onto the market. Yeah, that's just a matter of time, isn't it? Yeah, really. Well, we've, if it comes onto the market when there's plenty of demand, that's not necessarily a major issue. But if demand falls down, it's really a financing game, isn't it now? Yeah, and I farmers. think that's the, that's the big question. The um, it's, it's a demand question uh, because supply has never been lower in our lifetimes. And, um, and growers aren't forcing wool onto the market. So it is clearly a demand question, and that's something that uh, is more difficult to assess, as we know at Mercado, than suppliers. Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough one. But in terms of just another question, growers could have, and it might be Matt and Robert as well, they could have effectively used a, a forward contract six months ago, eight months ago. Where would the... You don't. You might not know that off the top of your head, but if they locked in a forward price just now in September last year, how much higher than the market would it be just now? I actually, I actually do know the answer to that one because I've got, um, I've got forward contracts that are due for settlement in June that were locked in uh, a year ago, and um, it, it, it's never a nice thing to uh, remind growers of this one. But um, for for the 19 micron, I've got prices uh, with the 20, uh, 21 dollar. Um, Settlement price on them, so um, and, and what is there it are now? some growers out there that yeah, uh, <laughs> um, it's um, significantly lower than that, Andrew. Um, down around, uh, well, you're talking about seven or eight dollars lower. So mm. um, the big uh, big differences in settlement there, and um, it you know just goes to show, I guess. Um, you know, hindsight's always an easy thing when it comes to that kind of stuff, but um, you know the opportunity was there to be locking stuff in and. Um, and it wasn't taken, so... Um, I suppose, yeah, without, yeah. without sounding like a broken record, we spoke about the importance of, of marketing and hedging and risk management. The same could be said with, with, with wheat. Could have locked in 355 Aussie dollars uh, per tonne for December wheat. And now that's, what, at 292, 294. So that's in, in two and a half months, you've got, you know, close to $60 discount. So I guess it's just a case of, Locking a price when it looks attractive, even if it's a, even if it's the smallest percentage of what you can what you can do, because we never know what's around the horizon. Expectations change, Andrew. Um, I can remember people saying that a wheat price with a three in front of it was always a good price, <laughs> except when you get to you know three thirty, three fifty, then the, you know, the, the new norm changes a bit. The new norm comes along, and that's uh, where where we are. It's a hard one. Like I don't. I think it must be hard for everyone. So we'll probably wrap it up there. If uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Uh, please stick it on your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your MySpace, or your Bebo. And, uh, yep, leave us a like. Uh, leave us a review on Apple iTunes if you've got the time. 
Uh, but thanks very much. Have a safe weekend. And uh, if the pubs have opened nearby, please frequent them because uh, we need barley to be uh, drank from now on. So uh, if you can, you know, we don't want to advocate alcoholism, but probably a six pack at the minimum would be able to help uh, the Australian barley industry uh, per day. Right up. Catch you guys soon. Bye bye. Cheers.